Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Maker That Money here live on the YouTubes. We went uh, a little bit later than normal. We're uh, recording at 1030 uh, a.m. Pacific. Normally we do like around the 9 a.m. spot, but we had some scheduling stuff. I had actually it's my fault. My daughters were in their uh, elementary school <laughs> talent show, and I, I was not allowed to miss that. So, uh, so we pushed a little bit later. Priorities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, we appreciate the flexibility of everybody. Uh, with me, as always, my partner in crime, Mr. Andrew Mayhall, owner, founder of 3D Gloop. Andrew, how are you today? I'm good. I'm tired, and I can't believe it's already Friday again, but here you we say are. say that every Friday. <laughs> Uh, I know. <laughs> and and our special guest this week, Mr. Eric Hess, general manager of Maker Nexus, one of the biggest uh maker spaces in the, I know the in the San Francisco Bay Area, probably in California and stuff. Uh I, I I'm hoping you can uh speak to this. But Eric, tell tell us really quick, uh before we dive completely in, uh what is Maker Nexus? Sure. So um so we're a nonprofit makerspace. Uh we recently moved I guess not recently now, feels recent, about a year and a half ago into a new space uh, in Sunnyvale. We have 28,000 square feet of um, combined communal workspace. Uh, so a nonprofit makerspace for those that aren't familiar, it's kind of like a gym, but instead of exercise equipment, we have tools. So you might go to the gym if you want to get fit, you might go to a makerspace if you want to learn woodworking. Get your, uh, we get have your a, making yeah. skills fit. I like yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Right. I like um, it. Yeah. So, so full wood shop, metal shop, laser cutters, 3D printers, welding area. We just expanded from a standing black and Decker grant um, that they very generously supported um, some of our expansion. So it's a you know a great community space that we're really excited to share with um, the larger community in the Bay Area. That's fantastic. And we'll dive in deeper uh, a, a bit on just the mechanics of it. I know you just mentioned you got grant funding and you're a nonprofit. We'll get into that in a second. But uh, I like to surprise our guests, as always, with our uh, things that we lead off uh, with. We are a very positive energy uh, forward podcast here, and we always like to talk about our <laughs> wins for the week at the top of the show. So, Eric, you'll have a second to think about something positive, and it doesn't have to be business-related. It can be personal or whatever, but we, we always like to start with that. And then if you're watching us in the chat, please share your wins for the week as well. What's something good that happened to you guys this week? Uh, Andrew, you want to start or should I? Let's let's do it. I'll go ahead and go. Uh, for I'll go it. ahead and take it. Go for it. You knew it, you knew it was coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so win for this week. Um, it's uh, I'll go a little a little bit broad, but we're we're gonna be making some really big moves here at Gloop. Um, big moves. You know, I'm, I'm calling it I'm calling it the moonshot, and uh, you know, <laughs> this is news to me. He's got we, a moonshot in, it, in the works. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've uh, uh, phase one, I'll call it of the of the moonshot plan has yeah. uh, is finally underway. Um, the, and the uh, Apollo one. Lots... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lots of lots of exciting things uh, have happened. Uh, so uh, you know, just kind of like lining up a bunch of dominoes, and hopefully they'll they'll all fall. You know piece by piece and when we're left like we'll have this really cool picture <laughs> this is mysterious i'm i'm intrigued i know yeah. so I, I can't wait yeah, to I know more. More, more about this movie yeah. shot. but uh, well the good news is is it's it's all going good <laughs> that's fantastic as as one would hope with a moon mission uh because yeah. the you know failure is not an option for uh you know for, yeah. the, for these types of things 
uh eric you got you got an idea what's something good that happened to you guys this yeah week? we um we actually on the kind of the maker that money theme mm. uh we hired um full-time um two new um manager level positions who are some of our uh, long-term instructors who are going to be overseeing specific aspects of our educational programs um ginger lavelle um heading up our metalworking and welding area wow. um and miles barman who is going to be taking on a lot of the youth camps and education um youth oriented education that we do um and that's just kind of a reflection of the expansion and the hard work that the entire team has put in um that we're at the point where we're able to promote some people from part-time as needed up to you know really full-time there every day and really able to put their mark on the makerspace that's fantastic awesome. man you guys are your job creating which is always yep. a great thing uh and 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 it's awesome to to see not just you know the the size of the the makerspace grow for your members and stuff but obviously to to create create new opportunities for for the people that run it that's fantastic man congrats yeah, and yeah congrats to, to yeah. ginger and I'm sorry, I missed the second. Miles. Miles. Yeah. Congrats, Ginger and Miles, on the new positions. That's great. Yep. That's great. We got, uh, uh, oh, good, but Mike's in the chat. Uh, we've seen a lot of familiar faces, <laughs> but, you know, uh, at the top, we also like to remind uh, everybody of our calls to action. So smashing that like button uh, certainly helps. Like, comment, subscribe, all that stuff. Bring a friend tell a friend any of that stuff we love talking about maker entrepreneurship specifically on this we we, we joke and we say we're all about turning your hobbies into your jobbies uh and so you know i think that it's a i think that it's an underserved subject which is why we started this podcast uh that there's a lot of people in the maker sphere in the maker world that um think you know that maybe they want to make a run of it and the realities of what it takes to cross the rubicon from you know a hobby into an actual sustainable business is uh always an interesting realization for many so we talk about a lot of that stuff on this podcast uh and we have a number of awesome guests eric being one of them but we cover a, a variety of grounds so that's that's kind of the the boilerplate for you guys if you're new and, and listening in after the fact we're on all the major pod platforms but we do record live on the youtubes as we said just about every 9 a.m fridays pacific time uh which is a great way to interact with us uh, I'm referencing, we've got people chatting. If you want to call in, we're also at call-in show. The link for that is above <laughs> me, the Maker That Money hotline, repcord.com slash MTM hotline. Uh, if you want to do that, or feel free to ask us questions and give us comments in the chat as well. And we'll try to get to them as best as we can. We don't always get to all of them, but we will try. So I think that's the housekeeping. Uh, now, now we, uh, yeah, now we want to get into the meat and potatoes. So today on the pod, we're talking about building sustainable makerspaces. Now, a couple weeks ago, we did have an episode where we did talk about uh, makerspaces and and the business mechanics of them. But this is a subject that's near and dear to me because I got my start in a makerspace. I know that Andrew has had relationships with makerspaces in his area mm -hmm. as well. Uh, and Eric, this is not your first rodeo either. I imagine you've probably been involved with other makerspaces and work with work with them still. I would imagine, yeah. Yeah, um, I got my start uh, in Tech Shop was my first um, first mm -hmm. makerspace that I um, was exposed to, and was a member at Tech Shop up until they closed. Um, probably a lot of. If you're not familiar with it, um, that's a podcast unto itself. 
Um, (laughs) And um, when Tech Shop closed down, that was really kind of the impetus for MakerNexus to get started. Uh, We looked around at the community in the Bay Area that was really, you know, profoundly impacted by that. There are three um, makerspaces in the Bay Area, one in San Jose, one in Redwood City, and one in San Francisco um, under the Tech Shop name. And when they closed down, there were just so many makers who were left out in the cold. Um, we spent a lot of time because of our community connections and um, background, kind of like the core group that came together right um, at Tech Shop's close. Um, we connect a lot of people with resources to like, keep them you know, running their you know, Kickstarters and startups and things like that. Uh, connecting them with, you know, local laser cutters, you know, you know, who are doing that professionally okay. because they didn't have access to a makerspace anymore. Mm. Um, and that was kind of the the seed of community that uh, MakerNexus was born out of. Um, so we, you know, we're in some, you know, in a lot of ways very fortunate to kind of have a community, um, you know, already in existence that was looking for a space. Um, and then when we launched the official like announcement, we did that at Hacker Dojo, which is another space that's near and dear to my heart. They're more of a hacker space, um, mm-hmm. but they're right next door in Mountain View. Okay. Uh, and so we had our first kind of like you know town hall meeting uh, to launch uh, Maker Nexus out of that space. And it's a very different community, um, much more tech oriented, um, but you know still a great group of people. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I see uh, Josh Manley, who was our guest that we talked about makerspace. He's been involved in a number of makerspaces. He owns a company called CADclass.org. He's actually going to be back next week talking about his book that just dropped, which awesome. is uh, which is great. So we we cannot get enough talking makerspaces and stuff. Like I said, mm-hmm. we're, we're all makers at heart, and that's where a lot of us got our got our start. And that means different things. Uh, like you said, there's kind of hacker spaces, and there's kind of different plays on the the mentality but a lot of it's about community a lot of it's about the sharing of resources uh talking about the sustainability piece that's something from the business side that i'm always fascinated by because i gotta tell you i've come across so so many eric makerspaces that just don't make it because they're not architected a lot of times in a way to be sustainable Mm -hmm. so when i say sustainable makerspaces like what are the things that come to mind and what are the the mechanics that you guys have put in place to make sure that you can continue to grow to continue to sustain operations yeah um i'm going to preface that this answer with this is going to vary tremendously regionally uh you know in a lot of ways uh in silicon valley we're very very aware that we have you know some unique economic circumstances that make some things work better than others um you know Building a makerspace is just like, for me, just like investing. Like if you invest like all of your stocks in one company and that company has a bad month or a bad year, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know, you might be out your entire investment. So diversifying is the thing that, you know, we really have tried to lean into and was a core part of the uh, business plan when we formed mm. is having like multiple different aspects of revenue generation that are all supporting the uh, space. Okay. And makerspace has a huge amount, you know, potentially a huge amount of space and efficiently utilizing those different areas as much as you can uh, is going to uh, to drive revenue you know even though we're a nonprofit we're still a business it's still a corporation mm-hmm. still have bills to pay still have you know staff to pay rent to pay utilities mm-hmm. like none of that goes away because you're a nonprofit it's just you know some of the mechanics on taxation and where revenue goes uh, when you have excess changes a little bit um, but we're still still a company like anyone else right um, we've leaned really hard into 
um, both the member experience um, and we have about 400 members or so right now, um, but also education, uh, team building events, uh, you know, public events, things like that, that are going to bring both like feet through the doors. You know, every person who walks through is a potential maker. Mm. You know, every, you know, if they come because they, you know, heard that we're doing a International Women's Day event. We had a great event uh, um, about a month and a half ago uh, that was really well attended. And the vast majority of the people there had never been set foot in a makerspace or viewed themselves as makers. They sat down, did some different crafts, got some hands-on experience, and walked away like excited about making things. Um, so the diversification is re like really that like the most core thing that I can recommend. Um, okay. You know, education. We do a ton of youth education, and that's a big part of our revenue. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so talk, uh, talk, talk about the revenue streams specifically, if you would, then like w when you're looking at it and maybe the baskets in terms of which percentages are, you know, the, if you, if you're, if you can, the, you know, sure. where the majority of the revenue comes in and then what, you know, ranks lower. Yeah. Right now we're about 45% membership, um, based and about 40 to 45% education revenue. And then about five to 10% is various fundraising, um, grant support, things like that is kind of the, the rough numbers. Um, I haven't looked at the budget so far this year okay. um, in the last like sense. couple of weeks, but that's, those are like rough ballpark numbers. Okay. Okay. So what the, the thing, one of the things that makes me happy to hear uh, a lot of the maker spaces that I've worked with in the past were very, very heavily grant funded. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And uh, that's obviously very pr problematic because, you know, Hey, when the grant is allocated and the money is there, that's great. But obviously that's not a sustainable, unless you have grant writers that are constantly, you know, seeking that out, which is a strategy. Yeah. Uh, but you know, that, that, that amount of money that's allocated toward grants varies wildly and stuff. And, and it can be competitive too, right? There's other people fighting over the same baskets of grant funding. Absolutely. Okay. And that's, that's one of the things that we've really looked at. Um, you know, we use, when we have grants, they're usually expansion grants. So like the, I mentioned earlier, the standing black and Decker grant mm -hmm. that allowed us to launch a welding, um, section of our shop mm -hmm. and that builds long-term sustainability, but being able to do a chunk expansion like that, we brought in brand new Millermatic, uh, welders, um, built some tables, um, brought in a plasma cutting table. We've got a CNC plasma cutter we're setting up right now. All of that nice. was made possible because we had an influx of additional money that wasn't otherwise allocated. And that's one of the things that mm. you know, we weren't dependent on that grant funding operationally, but it allowed us to like really significantly expand our education programs because now we can teach welding to youth and adults throughout Silicon Valley. And that's been one of our most, um, one of our like really popular programs. Um, and that's, that's one of the things that for grant funding, you know, relying on it for, um, operational costs always scares me. Mm -hmm. Um, sure. and, sure. um, fundraising is the same way. You know, we, we, um, moving into the space that we did, we raised about three quarters of a million dollars, um, to do the build out and retrofit of the space so that, you know, it was a functional maker space from office space. Um, and that was all fundraising. Um, and was something that was on top of our normal operating budget. Um, we did ultimately have to dip into our reserves a little bit for that because our fundraising came up a little bit short of where we needed to be. Mm -hmm. well, you know, mm -hmm. construction costs over the last couple of years have, you know, just absolutely skyrocketed. Yeah. Uh, so, and you're yeah, so in it, a very, very expensive place for mm -hmm. all that stuff. Yeah. So San <laughs> yeah. Francisco well, Bay Area. Yeah. A lot of people are like, three quarters of a million dollars, what'd you do in the building? And it's like, 
a lot less than it seems like. Uh, you expect <laughs> new to toilet paper holders dollars. in the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so what, one of the things that's really uh, uh, interesting about makerspaces is there's a lot of creative ways to actually drive funds, drive revenue to the to the, the whole thing. Josh uh, Manley in the chat mentions uh, that on-site storage was huge for him at one of his makerspaces uh, because it was a sticky thing. It, it made people feel invested in the space. They had their stuff there and therefore mm -hmm. they were there more often and they felt like they were utilizing it. So these interesting like mental strategies, I think you mentioned you, you have events all the time. And so when you can kind of partner with other groups that like to use the space for their types of purposes, there's a lot of interesting opportunity there. Uh, what other creative, you know, revenue streams have you guys found besides the traditional gym membership type stuff? Um, I definitely like the, um, like the mention of the storage space. It does, it really, that's a great point. Um, that really brings a lot of, um, it's a small amount of revenue, but brings a lot of attachment to the community. Mm. We also have studio spaces where people who like really want a permanent presence in the makerspace mm -hmm. can rent out a small studio within the space. Um, so oh, they, cool. they actually have some, you know, area and room where they can set up on a more permanent basis mm -hmm. and have like all of their tools set up in their area have a quiet workspace um, and those are really popular we have a wait list for those currently mm -hmm. we're going to be expanding and um, adding in a few more um, of those um, how many team how, building can i ask how oh. many spaces because that's that's exactly why i went to my mm -hmm. maker space there was uh, it's mm -hmm. like a co-working space partially yeah um we currently have we only have three of the private reserved offices and a half dozen or so cubicle spaces and then some shared table spaces. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to be doubling almost all of that um, with our next expansion, hopefully. Nice. Um, so, Very cool. Yeah. So that, that, um, that'll definitely bring in, you know, again, that's one of those, you know, diversifying your revenue streams. Mm -hmm. That's consistent revenue that comes in every month um, and has a wait list. So if someone leaves, it gets filled up right away. Yep. Um, and that's stability that for makerspace is really, really critical because you'll have months where for whatever reason, you just have a bunch of members that leave and that might mm -hmm. be economic reasons that might be mm -hmm. schools out for the summer and they're traveling. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you take a big hit and you don't have you know reserves to weather that, that can be challenging. Yes. And, um, True so for having any that, business. Yeah. 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 yeah it's mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you have a, you know, outflow of customers in any business and it's going to, you know, it's going to hit you hard. Yeah. Um, so having that diverse revenue stream, you know, that makes it a little bit easier and evens out that ebb and flow of, you know, things like membership or like for us, summer revenue is a huge influx, um, summer education. Um, we do about average, I think four or five youth camps per week throughout like oh, 10, wow. 11 weeks of summer. So we might have 40 or 50, um, you know, middle and high school age students in this space um, pretty much every day, Monday through Friday for the next, starting in two weeks, for the next uh, 12 weeks or so. And so that's a, you know, a big influx, like very much like a sugar rush of mm. cash into the space. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But you have to be responsible about how you spend that for the rest of the year because mm -hmm. you don't have like that same, opportunity so that ebb and flow like you get a whole bunch of cash in but you have to plan like okay i've got this for like the next nine months and you have to be careful about how you spend it and where you spend it um so just finding ways to diversify and even out that ebb and flow um, i think is really really critical um absolutely 
Yeah, the the youth yeah. camp is the the other one that I think a lot of makerspaces would really benefit from doing. Um, there's a lot of revenue in it. There's a lot of grant support for it. There's a lot of local community um, organizations that will support that. Um, also, at like the city and county level, county office of, office of education sponsors programs through us, um, and there's a number of city programs uh, as well particularly for youth who may not have access to those programs normally. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of ways like, you know, where it's not necessarily in Silicon Valley where, you know, there's a lot of people who very much understand the value of STEM education Mm -hmm. and STEAM education and are willing to spend money on that. But there's also a huge number of people who don't have access to those resources. And our whole goal of forming a makerspace is to lower barriers, you know, to access resources and training and things like that. So finding ways to partner with local civic organizations and county organizations right. to um, bring in both students, uh, potential members, as well as funding that's kind of like outside the normal grant stream um, is an- another way that I think a lot of makerspaces would really benefit from having closer civic ties. Uh, you know, talk to the local city council and you know make those connections with local, like find your mayor and go and sit down, you know, in Sunnyvale, we're very fortunate. I want to give a shout out to Larry Klein, uh, Sunnyvale mayor. Um, hey, Larry. He has, yeah, he has a, <laughs> he has a Friday uh, Friday morning coffee hour um, where you can sign up and come and sit down and chat with the mayor. And anyone in the city can do it. Um, oh, wow. So when we were looking at moving to Sunnyvale um, and having space in there, that was the first thing that you know I did. Went and sat and talked down talked with Larry. And he's, I think, been at every single one of our like major events that we've held since we opened. Um, and he's been a really That's vocal awesome. supporter of, of what we're doing here. That's so fantastic. just like making those connections, um, open up a lot of opportunities that would otherwise you know, just be missed or uh, not even thought about. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I kind of wanted to jump in here real quick and, and ask like on, on how the operation of the makerspace kind of takes place. If you could kind of dive in a little bit on, um, you, you know, basically like, you know, organization and process control because like in many makerspaces that i've been with there's no process there's no organization it's just a nightmare um and that's a huge piece that comes into the i i feel like the success of the the makerspace uh yeah and that's and every makerspace struggles with that i think um and (laughs) it's i think there's a certain amount that comes with time um, if you set like that as a goal and something that you want to orient yourselves towards, um, there's a huge diversity in functional models from like what we do, which is a little bit more staff heavy. We have a relatively high payroll relative to our overall budget. So we have a lot of paid staff that mm. are executing okay. our education programs, things like that. Mm-hmm. There's other makerspaces like Hacker Dojo has a office assistant an executive director, um, or events organizer and executive director. And that's like their entire staff. Uh, Everything else is volunteer run. So it's kind of like very, like two different ends of the spectrum in a lot of ways. Um, And both are valid approaches. Uh, There's not one Mm -hmm. that works better than other, the other. Um, It really depends on like what direction you want to go. Um, Mm -hmm. If you want a high level of organization, you usually need paid staff to really execute that. Or you need some really dedicated volunteers who are just like, uh, sure. Organizational aces. Um, one of the great things that Ginger, you know, did, you know, as soon as she came on, is she, you know, really went through the entire back metal shop and just cleaned it up, put everything in place. Um, one of the things that gained like the organizational question. Um, 
building in systems that members can um, and community members can engage with easily is a big challenge. You know, everyone has different mm -hmm. views of what organization means. Um, I admittedly am not the best person to talk to about organization. <laughs> I have kind of a photographic memory for where I've left a tool, um, which is great for me and horrible for everyone else. Right. Um, sure. <laughs> I know I left it here. I know where that is. Um, so taking like a really um, broad approach to, um, to organization and to um, just the, how you want to lay out a space from a high level and having a system that's accessible and easy for members to engage in is a big part of it. That might be color coding all of your tools that go in like your wood shop, or it might be the like the far end of the spectrum. Um, there's a great book on makerspace organization um, that I'm totally forgetting the name on. Um, <laughs> they, um, they're over, I think in Massachusetts, have been running a makerspace for about 10 years. And they um, they utilize a 6S system, which is you know the traditional 5S um, that was popularized um, primarily in like car manufacturing facilities over in Japan. Every tool has a place. Every tool mm -hmm. like it's a labeled like you've got an outline of the tool mm -hmm. on the pegboard. There's no drawers, no boxes, nothing for things to hide in and collect dust. Mm. I love that approach. Mm -hmm. It's hard to implement. It takes a lot of time and energy. Well, and, um, and it or, requires buy-in from everybody. So there's exactly. an extent like you have to have somebody that's like the junkyard dog making sure that everybody's in compliance yeah. with the policy, which was one of the hardest things about the place I was. Where it's like, yeah, getting people to take ownership, everybody talks a good game, but when it's set up like in the co-op model – um, people were mm -hmm. terrible, man. They wouldn't, they wouldn't put stuff away. They wouldn't mm -hmm. clean up after themselves. It would create safety hazards. It would do all kinds of other stuff. So first of all, I got a two part question for you. Uh, one, give us like the brief overview of what your guys org chart looks like. Cause I heard, I heard what you were saying, what, you know, hacker dojo, maker dojo look like, uh, but I want to hear about yours. And then two, how do you mitigate some of the stuff that I'm talking about where, uh, uh, I'm, I'm not entirely sure what the size of your membership is, but managing the, the vast array of, mm -hmm. of membership and, and who's in charge of making sure everybody stays in check. Sure. Uh, so org chart wise, um, our executive director, Jenny Higgins, um, heads the organization. We have a, um, a board that's currently uh, six, seven members, uh, and we're hoping to expand that up to um, nine. Um, so if you're interested in being part of a nonprofit board and, you know, in Silicon Valley and want to be involved in makerspaces, <laughs> send us a line. Um, it's a, um, um, and then below, uh, Ginny or uh, not below, but, you know, next level down the org chart, uh, mm -hmm. we have a series of managers, um, myself, um, is the operation, um, kind of the operational head, uh, general manager, uh, Ginger is our metal shop man manager. Uh, Miles is handling our youth camps. Um, Sarah Kramer has been handling, um, education broadly and we'll be focusing a little bit more on like member side education so all of our mm. like basic training classes mm -hmm. uh, workshops things like mm -hmm. that jen hart um also joined and i forgot to mention her earlier as one of our wins um and jen is going to be heading up our um more of our team building outreach um kind of that um that aspect of diversifying and building additional revenue in um, and then next level down, we have what we call our managers on duty, consulting makers. 
so those are the people who are responsible for the day-to-day -day running of the makerspace. So okay. they open, oh. open and close, um, answer questions, fix machines, clean up, whatever, you know, like anything, everything that needs to get done in the space, um, they're on top of it. Uh, we have about 10 of those. They're all part-time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some work just one day a week. Others are close to 40 hours a week. Um, and then on our education team, we have about 30 or so instructors that are as needed part-time. Mm -hmm. um, and they're responsible for delivering everything from our youth camps to um, our day-to-day like boss classes, like how to like not cut your hand off on a table saw, mm. uh, and like no, you know, not rely and, you know, on the saw yeah. stop to do it. Yeah, we've got a saw yeah. stop. Yeah, um, <laughs> we've we've had a um, one or two saves, um, but it's mostly people doing dumb things like running the aluminum miter gauge into the saw stop. Yeah, um, that's happened three times. I'm like, just oh check no. It. <laughs> um, as far as like how how it all gets wrangled, um, it's it's an ongoing, uh, I don't want to say battle because it, it's very much a team effort. Um, sure. They're, um, we're all on the same team ultimately, you know, um, members, staff, you know, we're all makers. We're all working towards this, you know, shared goal of having a functional, safe, you know, great maker space. Um, sometimes the members, you know, forget to clean up after themselves and we have to be like, Hey, like, don't forget, you need to vacuum up your space when you're done. Mm -hmm. Um, but generally they're <laughs> phenomenal. Um, you know, people want to leave a space in a good condition. What we found, what I've seen is most of the problems are born out of ignorance and not wanting mm. to ask questions or being afraid mm. of asking questions. Um, mm. Like someone might like have grabbed a tool and been using a tool and not know where it goes. And they might be like, not feel great about like going and asking like, hey, like where's, where's this go back? Cause like someone else has something more important to do than answer my silly question. Right. And so like try and find a place that like it fits and then like put it back there. And it's not always, not always the best, you know, the best approach, but they're mm -hmm. trying. Um, That's a, making things. Yeah. Let me let me let me stay on that for just a second because sure. I I noticed this happening a lot in my and I'll bet you this is a really common problem. Uh, I think part of it too is like people might consider it to be a hit against like their their maker chops. You know, these are a lot of like mm. technical people a lot of the times. So not necessarily like where does the tool go, but it's like oh I got this. I I know how to figure things out. I can put think you know i'm an engineer I, that was my favorite it, you know people think mm -hmm. that because they're an engineer that that means they but obviously know to, should know, know how, how to run a saw yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. know how to run a saw or do all these other things and it's 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 harder than i think a lot of people think to just like ask for clarification because they don't they don't want people to think mm -hmm. maybe less of their skill set or whatever so you know, what do you do to make people feel more comfortable about that and mitigate that? Uh, th that's not an easy thing sometimes. It's it's not. Um, and that's 100% like customer service and just building a culture of, you know, both offering help in a way that isn't condescending um, mm -hmm. and also like being very, very available for questions and making sure that you are going out of your way to, uh, to answer and address questions as quickly as you can. Um, I've been in a wood shop long enough that when something is going wrong, I can hear the tool complaining. Um, mm. You you know you hear that you hear the motor pitch change. Yeah, like, ah, uh -huh. this is about to have kickback. Um, yeah, and, and there's there's so much that you can identify just you know from a um, like on a staff and expert level of like okay, there's a problem that we want to like go and address. And most of the time, that's just a like they just didn't know like that you shouldn't do like this one esoteric weird operation. 
um, that they're like trying to sort their way through. But, you know, again, it's, it's so much is based on like just not knowing. And that's one that like the, the double-edged sword of the maker mentality is mm-hmm. like you learn by doing and you try things and like, well, that didn't work. Um, and yep. sometimes, you know, you, you know, we spend a lot of time on safety in our classes because we want to make sure that they're not trying something that, you know, is unsafe. So we cover some of the like more esoteric <laughs> uh, safety considerations. And then from there, it's kind of like experiment. Um, and we also have a very, try to have a very low, um, low pressure um, environment when like something does go wrong. So you know, we had someone who um, pushed the uh, guard on the joiner um, out of the way while they were joining something and got their finger pretty well mm. um, oh no <laughs> because they were defeating a safety v- device that's mm. like painted bright red and is there for a reason mm. um and like on the one hand like you, you and you just have to treat that with compassion to build a good good culture it's like mm-hmm. yeah they learned their lesson you know being mad at them isn't going to reinforce the fact that they got to go to the er and get their finger glued up um like they've learned that lesson and are like ready to learn better practices at that point. So if you mm. approach that like a lot more um, gently and compassionately, it'll be a learning experience that's positive for the members um, mm. and hopefully reinforce like, you know, if you have a question about safety, ask first. Um, and that's mm-hmm. the thing that you know, we always, we always have someone on staff. Um, so there's a lot of spaces where, you know, it's more member run. Um, so there might not be someone actively on staff. We always have a paid member um, on staff at all times. Mm-hmm. So there's always someone that they can go to and ask a question for. Okay. We also have a really large engaged involved community that is more than willing to jump in. Mm. And building that community, I think is the biggest thing that you can do to kind of like mitigate a lot of that. When the community starts, not necessarily like policing itself, but self-governing and, you know, like, reminding each other to clean up or, you know, like, Hey, looks like you're looking at like where this tool goes. Mm-hmm. Like, do you want a hand? Or like, you know, you walk in, you're like, Oh, this person is struggling to like figure out how they're going to do this cut. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, mm-hmm. just like check out what they're doing and, you know, see if they want some help. Um, and building like that type of environment, mm-hmm. um, take some intentional work, um, and some leadership on the part of staff to like really mm-hmm. like say, this is the culture that we want where you're, you know, encouraged to ask questions and engage with other members. Um, and that's, I think that's the the biggest thing that you can do. Again, every, every environment and every community is going to be very, very different. Um, but that's something that I've seen work across a couple of different spaces. Um, and just, you know, kind of leading from, you know, leading from the front of always being willing to answer questions, particularly on, you know, especially on safety. Um, mm. You know, if, if someone's like, is this cut mm-hmm. safe? I will drop whatever I am doing to go and make sure that what they're doing is safe. Sure. Um, because, you know, th- those are, you know, hopefully members and people that you care about um, and you wouldn't want them to get hurt um, or mm-hmm. have them inadvertently hurt someone else. Um, so I think a lot of it is just like building in, building in that type of culture and responsibility across, you know, across the entire community. Mm-hmm. Um, from you know the executive director on down to the member who joined yesterday, um, everyone mm-hmm. should be willing to ask questions and seek help. Um, I've been woodworking for 15 or 20 years now, and there's people in there that know way more than I. Like they've forgotten more <laughs> than I know. Uh, so there's times like you know even even I you know, as a professional woodworker, you know, 15 years before I started Maker Nexus, you know, I'm like, yeah, I've got questions. I'm like, is this safe? Um, 
I don't know. I haven't done this cut before. And someone with more experience might, you know, chime in and be like, yeah, I did this. And it like kicked back and like, this is the bad thing that you want to avoid. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. always being willing to learn, I think is, um, I think you mentioned kind of like that, like, I'm an engineer, I should know this. Like there's mm -hmm. a lot of ego that you just have to kind of like get over. Um, and um, at risk of getting a little bit political, I'm going to say like, guys have this a lot worse. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, yeah. The, the. Pretty mm -hmm. much every accent that we've had in our makerspace has been a guy who didn't ask a question. Um, what? And no. I, I know. I know. <laughs> Shocking. No. Um, and th that's one of the things, you know, we also, we really foster a very inclusive, um, open environment. Um, and that's another thing that like really has to be done somewhat intentionally mm -hmm. because it has for so long been a very male dominated space. Mm. Um, but, you know, there, there is some ego there that, you know, we just have to work to overcome. And like, there is no shame in saying, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's so many mm -hmm. things that I don't know. Um, I'll, you know, always be willing to ask for help. Um, it's not an easy thing for opinion. a lot of people though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so in, in, go, in circling back on sustainability a little bit, we, we've talked about revenue. Let's talk about the other side of the coin, which is, you know, your cost structure. So obviously you said mm -hmm. you have a very mm -hmm. large payroll. I'm, my, my guess is payroll is probably your number one cost center. It is. Uh, yeah. and, and maybe second to, and then like uh, probably rent, I would assume, or, or, you know, your, your overhead associated with the facility itself. Uh, you bring mm -hmm. up another interesting point, liability insurance, especially in this mm -hmm. area, especially with the size of entity that you guys are. I have to imagine that's a big cost point for you. What are some of the other costs, uh, uh, primary costs that you guys are dealing with? And then what responsibility do you guys feel like you have to be keeping an eye on it? Where's opportunity to cut costs and make like what what mm -hmm. where does it ebb and flow most when you need to contract and expand? Yeah, um, and there's we we've been running very very lean as you know as lean as we can for you know, really since our inception you know we um, mm. as makers you know we get machines and restore them um, and you know there's a cost to that you know there's hours that are invested in that um, and sometimes that's volunteers sometimes that's staff um, but if you have a staff member who's not doing something else and you can have them clean up a machine and that mm -hmm. saves you the cost of like buying that machine new you know that's sometimes a win for you. Um, Machine acquisition is one of the areas that being a nonprofit helps a ton. Um, and that's one of the big cost areas that we've been able to save a ton on um, through being you know, very strategic in our acquisitions mm -hmm. um, and grabbing good deals occasionally when they pop up. You know, even if that's something that we you know might plan to use in a few months, you know, occasionally mm. that deal like you know, Ford Motor Company donated a um, a PCB mill to us um, a month or two ago. And we're like, well. We have a CNC program in development. We have, you know, hope to launch that in six months or so. Mm -hmm. So it's sitting on a pallet rack right now. Um, yeah. But you know, if it's free and it's, you know, otherwise you're going to be spending yeah. ten or twenty thousand dollars, you know, on that in six months or so, you know, you want to take a hard look at what your opportunity cost is, mm -hmm. um, you know, because that takes up space and that space could mm -hmm. be member storage and that might be revenue. So it's a balancing act. Um, Electricity is our one of our big um, big costs. A space as large as ours, lights on sure. both in 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. Mm, um, interesting. So our electrical bill is pretty significant. Um, one of the things that I like, definitely look at like where you can invest as you know organization where you can invest in savings in the long term. Uh, we just put in LED lights in about half the space. Um, mm -hmm. We're going to do that in the other half. 
the energy savings from those LED lights in four months pays for the fixtures themselves. And then oh, wow. like another like <laughs> four or five months, you know, hopefully pays for the install. But you have to have mm -hmm. all that money up front. So you yeah. know, you're you know, you're dropping you know twenty thousand dollars up front, but you're going to see those savings long term. And that's one of those things that organizationally, you know, every organization has to do some of that long term planning of where mm -hmm. we're going to invest for the long term savings. Mm -hmm. Because you know, a year from now, you're going to look back and be like, man, I spent all this money. If we'd just been able to like fundraise that at the beginning, or get a grant, or like you know, dial something else back to be able to achieve those savings. You know, that's where like your board governance and strategic planning comes in mm -hmm. of like where you're going to try and find some of those cost savings. Um, sure. Other big costs are materials. Um, you know, we have a, a huge amount of um, youth programs and things like that that we're doing. Mm -hmm. And so we have you know, a lot of different materials that we have to source from different locations. That takes time and money for both those. You know, people mm. have to go down and chase down a whole bunch of different like robotics components versus buying a pre-bought, you know, like a pre-made kit. Are there not those are, explicit material fees uh, typically charged for these types of things? Are they rolled in? They are. I mean, yeah, okay. they, they, they get rolled in. Yeah, but again, yeah. like when you're talking about like trying to, you know, increase mm. access to something, if you have sure. a $200 material fee, like that program just became $200 less accessible. Uh, uh, so we're always sure. looking for ways to like, Get set up with wholesalers so that like we can bring things Sourcing. in in bulk. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But again, like all that ends up being money up front. It's a long-term savings. So like having kind of like a nest egg and initial like rainy day fund, rainy day pot that you can draw from for some of the for some of those strategic long-term savings mm -hmm. um, is something that you know really really makes a big difference. Um, you know, you can only run lean for so long before things start breaking. Um, and that's one of the one of the things that like I really like caution a lot of space is like like burnout's a real thing and mm -hmm. you can run mm -hmm. lean for a long time and you know people will start getting burned out. Um, and you have to look at you know sustainability isn't just you know finances, but also like having staff and you know everyone else that's managing a space. Um, you know, you have to make sure, sure that those people, their institutional knowledge, all the things that they know don't get lost if you burn them out and you know they hmm. move on to a less stressful job um or you know you want to just you know take care of those people take care of your volunteers yeah um yeah, turnover costs is is a yeah. lot bigger than i think a lot mm -hmm. of people for business realize and and when you have that uh, a lot of institutional knowledge invested in people and stuff like that. You want to retain them, obviously, because bringing new people up to speed takes a lot of time and lose a lot of efficiency and stuff. So that's definitely a, a, a very good point in terms of a cost center that yeah. doesn't get looked at nearly enough for a lot of businesses, probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Insurance insurance is a, is another one of those big costs, but you just have to pay it. Like It's just not a lot. Sure. You just have to. <laughs> Yeah. Um, our, our landlord is Google. So like, that's one of the things that like, they really ah. insist that we have a very, very high, um, GL, a, is it, is it general liability? Is it, is it, uh, do you have to have like separate insurance, insurance, uh, things for tools, like how to, riders and that's, stuff? That's, that's a, that's a great question. I'm going to say, I don't know the full answer <laughs> to that. All right. Uh, our accountant, um, treasurer, um, handles most of the insurance, but yeah, general liability, sure. um, specific event liability. So if you're holding a special event, you usually get a, like a one day rider for that event. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and you know, mm -hmm. maker spaces, like once the, like once our insurer underwriter kind of like knew what we were, um, and kind of like talked through it, like 
you know, there's there isn't like a a lot of insurance companies that are like, oh, makerspaces. That's you know, like we'll classify yeah. that as this. The first one that we talked to is like, oh, you have a wood shop. You must be like, you know, yeah. rated like a cabinet shop. And I'm like, yeah. we do not have the level of danger that cabinet shop has. You know, it's just, yeah. Uh, and and like city city planning was the same way when we were trying to get permitted. You know, they're like, oh, what's a makerspace? Like, oh, wood shop. And so like they're like, we want explosion proof yeah. everything. And I'm like, they don't make planers that are explosion proof. Like, <laughs> like they're just like that's not a thing that like industry makes. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's like a lot of it's like just building some understanding and in a very very humble way because what you what you don't want to do is like go to the city and be like no I know more than you about this like that's yeah. sure I, I learned I learned yeah. that approach in our first space um, when we were going through dust collection um, and I'm like no like these are the OSHA standards like what like we're an order of magnitude above OSHA standards and you're telling me like you want me to put in a different system that's less safe. I'm really confused. Uh, oh, um, oh, you, you, you think uh, you think you can make this explosion proof? Hold my beer. I'll find somebody yeah. that can explode it. Uh, uh, yeah. So, um, so I, you know, in retrospect, you know, three years later, like I should have approached that conversation with a little bit more humility, um, and been like, hey, like, why don't you come out to our space and like let's talk through like what you're looking for. Yeah. And like I'll show mm -hmm. you the tools that we're using and like why what you're asking oh may gosh. not make the most sense. Um, let me, let me yeah, tell, yeah. I got to share a quick story on that. So I was really, and Andrew's heard about this in the past. I was really frustrated when we were trying to get renewed for our general liability policy in our mm -hmm. shop because, uh, I, I kept getting like coverage for a year and then I would get dropped because every insurance provider says, uh, we're not insuring 3d printing anymore. Cause it's dangerous. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like if you saw the machines that were, I mean, these are the, the I mean, we're not using yep. big metal powder machines. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to explain this to underwriters. They don't know what they're dealing with. They just know that mm -hmm. they see reports about uh, industrial injuries associated with like 3d printing. And, and then they're, they're creating risk profiles based on that. And it's mm -hmm. so unbelievably frustrating because there's such a, a, a gamut of, of different technologies used for 3d printing, the risks of dealing with resin and chemical, you know, type stuff versus FDM, which is generally pretty inert. And then, you know, powder printers and stuff like that, where you've got, you know, dangerous tungsten particles potentially floating yeah. around in the air and stuff, <laughs> massive difference in, you know, liability. But to them, it was just all lumped under it's, it's too new. It's too unknown. Yeah. But some of the best results I had were similar to what you said, where it's like, come and see what we're talking about. These are hobbyist machines. These are, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and not, you know, dangerous things. Like the, 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 the quotes I was getting were like triple and quadruple, like the CNC machinist I had like next door yeah. was getting for his stuff. <laughs> and they're vastly more dangerous than getting sucked into machines and, you know, mango yep. and all that stuff. But, yeah. I, you know, I, have, I have a really funny story. Like in that same vein, yeah. uh, when we were getting permitted for this new space um, and like listing the equipment, 3D printers was the thing that got flagged. Yeah. And you're like, <laughs> scary you're like, 3D printers. What are you doing to mitigate the risks of 3D printing? And I'm like, we have Prusa Mark 3S's, they're filament printers. Like, a spool of filament. What risks fell are we on to, like, yeah. burns? Like, we have a burn box here for like, yeah. Yeah. with like the newest board, it's a burn cream. Yeah. Um, we had to submit. MSDS is on every single uh, brand of filament that we carry, yeah, every single yeah, resin yeah. that we have. And they looked at them like, okay, 
Um, but it was like hours of work to like just get all the like information together. And it was just like, yeah, in Silicon Valley, like they're thinking like huge metal printers and like mm -hmm. like a laser oh, yeah. sentry machine, sure. like yeah. mm -hmm. something crazy that's going to like potentially explode Lots or of explosions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of envy you guys, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you should have seen what you the actually have that we go through. Yeah. Yeah. Listen to Hazmat yeah. Man over here talking about what the DOT has and jump through, what hoops they I, have. I, 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 I read the MSDS on that on um, stuff, and I'm like, all right, this stuff will work. Great. Yeah, yeah. It's all death. It's all just instant yeah. death, and, and you just have to disclaim it, really, right? Yeah, Andrew? and... and, and yeah, for for yeah. a lot of the stuff, like there's there's a ton of things. You know, we have a big flambles cabinet, and we have to list every single thing that's in the flambles cabinet. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, we put our spray paint cans in there. Like, do I have to list it by color? Uh, so it, it gets a little bit silly, in, like the regulations sometimes. Sure. But you know, they the the OSHA the thing that you know I always recall from my OSHA training is like, you know, every regulation is exists because someone died. Um, and that's like not, yeah. not to make it dark mm -hmm. real suddenly, but um, but there's a reason yep. why the regulations exist. Um, and we try and work with the city and uh, county um, as much as we can to be like really on top of that because, yeah, you know, taking shortcuts and things like life safety, electrical explosions, mm -hmm. fire safety um, right. gets people hurt really badly. Yeah. So we, you know, we, we joke about it, but we take it seriously as well. Um, it's sure. just, it's fr frustrating from a business you know, management perspective of, you know, we're trying to do good things mm -hmm. for the community and running into a lot of roadblocks that, you know, can be very, very frustrating. Mm -hmm. So on the community front, one thing I have noticed, one of the strengths of a lot of these maker spaces is the fact that they just, they play so beautifully, uh, like, like cities and, and public entities love them, right? They love to talk about them because it's just like, we're making, you know, people, we have these spaces where people can come in and make things. It just, it, it just, advertises so well it markets so well so mm -hmm. what do you feel like you guys have done to like try to lean into that obviously you mentioned you know you went to open office hours with the mayor and stuff like that mm -hmm. obviously there's great opportunity to to get some visibility from that as well can you talk to that yeah yeah um so you know much, much like you and you know, want to take the moment to thank you for everything that you guys did during the early days of covid um with you know making face shields and uh, stuff like that. You know, we were doing the same thing down in the Bay Area um, and led a effort that, you know, in total, I think we made 335,000 face shields um, that were distributed nationwide at no cost to the end users. So it's all supported by donations, things like that. That got us a lot of the, like, really got us, got us kind of like on the map um, civically in the region. Um, and like seeing that like really direct community benefit. Uh, like before that is like very, very abstract in a lot of ways. Like, yeah, like makerspaces are great for the community. And like, it's this community hub and people can like start jobs, like businesses there and things like that. But when like we started delivering face shields to local hospitals, like it was suddenly very, very real. Of, like this is a diversified manufacturing hub that can pivot faster than, you know, really almost any other business can. Um, you know, that's one of the things, one of the benefits about nonprofits, like we had a whole bunch of volunteers mm -hmm. come in and printing for us, you know, a traditional manufacturing company like has to staff up and hire and things like that. And we're yeah. like, yeah, hey, come in and bring your 3D printer um, or like, you know, <laughs> 3D print and drop it off our doorstep. Uh, so, um, so yeah, so like the civic, the civic engagement um, that's a good, that's a good was very, very abstract before that point. And sure. then after that, like it was very, very real. 
And so now Sunnyvale has a, kind of a long-term plan to have a makerspace like in their like city center building. Mm-hmm. Um, Google and their renovations in this region, they're mm-hmm. putting like a major couple of major campuses um, and doing some really cool mixed use um, you know, community, like more intentional like community building with workspace. Mm-hmm. Um, they're looking to have some type of makerspace there. That's one of the big reasons why they're excited about having us in that region is to build like that community and connection um, among very, very diverse populations. Um, we ended up winning um, small business of the year, um, not nonprofit of the year, but small business of the year oh, very um, from cool. Sunnyvale uh, Chamber of Commerce um, the year after the COVID effort. Um, largely because of uh, the face shield project that we did um, and all the other like, community services that we had done. Um, and that's one of the ways that like you know, getting, one of the things that I think makerspaces don't do well is advertise themselves. Mm-hmm. Like you look, you go into a community, you take, mm-hmm. you know, take a hundred random people off, off the street within a mile of the makerspace and 95 of them will have never heard of the space. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's true of like every makerspace. I like, we like, we've got our Kool-Aid, like we love our Kool-Aid. <laughs> but we're not great about like getting like the, the word outreach. about the Kool Aid yeah. out. Yeah, I mean, sure. that's one of the area, one of the ways that I think like civically, like working with like city councils and you know, civic leaders, uh, I think lawmaker spaces could do a better job of um, of that of getting the word out. Um, so I, I think so. Yeah. We talk about this mm-hmm. a lot, and this is this is a, this extends again to all business that a lot of times the sales and marketing efforts are what mm-hmm. really get left behind. Yeah. We, we have, especially as makers, I don't know what it is, but we have that whole field of dream syndrome where we think if we build it, everyone is yeah. going to come and it's going to be great and everybody's going to know about it. And I oftentimes say, and it sounds like it's true for you guys as well, you don't have a sales problem, you have an awareness problem. So there's a yeah. lot of advocacy. I got to tell you, if I... Mm-hmm. when I'm retired, if I ever get involved in a maker space, like I'm a connector of people. I love this type of thing. I love to, Oh, Oh yeah. Sorry. Eric, <laughs> Eric just got a little kiss from his partner. I was like, yeah, that was very cute. Um, I, I I'll bring lo- the dog. I'll bring the dog in next. Oh, fantastic. People <laughs> love, yeah. We love pets. We love pets. Um, yeah. I, I, I love the connection. I love the networking and the, uh, and the amount of opportunity for, We've talked about all the different revenue streams. Um, you could blow mm-hmm. up any one of those little segments by just you know repeatedly getting in front of the right people. You and the story is so good, right? The the getting the funding, and I think this is true for education a lot as well. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but finding equipment and finding like companies that are willing to kick in, like yeah, sure, we'll fund mm-hmm. the build out of the electronics lab or whatever, because it's like. There's like a NASCAR model uh, establishment yep. to that, right? Yeah. We get the big Ford symbol on like this because we sponsored the build out of that. Uh, but then mm-hmm. if you're not telling the story, if you're not in there showing like, oh, you know, it, doing the tweeting, doing the, you know, social media mm-hmm. bits about it so that Ford feels feels good about it. And then so that, you know, Dremel or Black & Decker or whomever else sees it and says, well, we want in on that action as well. I mean, yeah, there is so much money to be had in, in investing in that way, but it takes a certain mm-hmm. special set of skills yeah. and stuff to, to do that. And I know that, um, that's not always looked at depending on how the business is structured. If you, if you're, if you've got some key players that are coming in and trying to grow this as a sustainable global business, I am honestly surprised that there is not more attention put toward that sales marketing outreach piece. What do you think? 
Absolutely. And I think that's um, like, I think every, every makerspace should go out and hire a high schooler to do their social media um, as an intern. Um, because like, I, I'm like, what are the TikToks and what are the, um, like, you, you need someone who is like aware of the trends um, and how people receive information mm -hmm. in this modern day and age. And in this, like each region is going to be specific. Like you're not going to have like the same level of engagement with social media, you know, in, you know, if you have like a makerspace in like the foothills of California, as you do in like Silicon Valley, mm -hmm. like they're going to find, find the makerspace in different ways. So that has to be like very, very regionally, like, you know, geographically, um, customized in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. but yeah, I, mm -hmm. I, I think marketing, um, you know, that's certainly something that we've struggled with um, and haven't done as good as good a job as we'd like. Um, and I think our new executive director, Jenny, is doing a really great job in getting the word out there and gaining nice. visibility. Um, but it's it's one of those things marketing takes upfront investment. And, you know, like I mm -hmm. mentioned earlier, like having that nest egg to be like, like, it'll pay dividends. It, I promise it will. But yeah. you have to have that money up front to like start <laughs> building your YouTube presence and start building your you know, Twitter mm -hmm. presence and like gaining the traction and gaining followers. And that takes time. Um, and social media is like only one aspect of it. You know, having someone mm -hmm. who understands like how to do uh, marketing, on, you know, using like Google AdWords or Facebook AdWords, yep, sure. things like that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's, there's a lot of different things that work together. And most makerspaces like don't bring on someone who's like just marketing, like that's just what they do. Mm. Um, because it's like that uh, upfront investment you can be hard to justify if you don't see like those returns immediately. Yep. Well, I think that's true for any business, it, it right? Yeah. <laughs> it, it yeah. absolutely is. And we've yeah. said before too, but like, I, I believe it. Mm -hmm. It's just tough when you don't necessarily have the coin to, to front it, but a good sales marketing person mm -hmm. should very, very easily be paying for themselves multiple times over. Yeah. But again, without that expertise, without the, the people at the top that have that belief in that, you know, sale, mm -hmm. uh, uh, social media is one aspect and one tool of the trade. And a lot of times that has uh, uh, some really great visibility potential. Again, it's about mm -hmm. storytelling. So if I'm going, but, but again, you have to look at what, what who are you selling to here? Right. So, yeah. so if you're trying to appeal to your membership and the community, that's, that's probably more your, your B to C where your consumer mm -hmm. grade thing. When I want to tell the story, when I want to go to Google and get a half mil in funding to build out the next thing, I'm going to show them like, look at all this awesome stuff that we did, but you have to have all the, to that story in place. Right. And so it's, yep. it's a, yeah. it's a multifaceted, multi-pronged approach. And that that's your B2B play, which is where a good chunk of your money, your long-term potential money can mm -hmm. be. And where you start to get, you, you're, you're in the best space for that, right? You've got all these great <laughs> tech people or tech companies that, that actually have, funding allocated to support projects like this. There's probably great ways to weave in uh, opportunities for events where they can have like their staff or staff families be involved and stuff like that. Um, I mean, just my mind's like going crazy and I'm sure you guys are already doing a lot of stuff like that. that that's that's actually <laughs> what one of the primary things that Jen is going to be leaning into a little bit more. Um, I like Jen. I'm going to talk yeah. to Jen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, um, there, there's so many different ways that that just like snowballs. And, you know, once once you start doing programs like with like a partnership with Google or Yahoo or uh, Amazon or Apple, like any yeah. like any of the big tech companies down here, like Sun, like um, AMD, like any of those. Once you start that partnership, uh, it snowballs very very quickly. Yeah. 
the just biggest challenge. You pit them against each other because uh, yeah. well, you know, <laughs> you know, Google gave right, us. Apple has know. us this weekend, but you can get next weekend. Yeah, yeah, um, we're booked out for three months. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. It's always you're booked out for three months because you got yeah. the Apple gig and you got the Google gig. Yeah, and, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, hype guy um, here, hype guy. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's yeah, it's that's another one of the areas that you know diversifying you know again diversifying that portfolio like work with all the companies don't be like oh we just work with google or i just work with like work yeah. with everyone yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah it's it you're an it's arms dealer my friend yeah. you have to play all sides <laughs> play, all, play all the sides yeah absolutely listen next time uh, joe's in yeah. town we got to get him to do the next user group thing at your oh, yeah. space no, yeah like, we'll 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 definitely yeah um, yeah, yeah that would, that'd be fantastic we've got plenty of room um like I said, 20,000 square feet. Yeah. We're running Prusas primarily. Um, yeah. We've got some other like printers. Um, we got uh, someone is loaning us an Excel. So we're running our first print mm. on that right now. So I'm, I'm pretty nice. excited. Yeah. Um, awesome. So um, yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, marketing and doing that outreach is, it's tough. Um, a lot of times it's just getting in the door. Like you get in the door, you know, find the right person to talk to and like you're off to the races. Mm-hmm. Um, but finding that person is a challenge. And that's where someone who like really knows the ins and outs of marketing really pays their dividends is, you know, if they come with a Rolodex of contacts that they already know at a bunch of different companies, like mm. you are like, it's just gold at that point. Um, sure. A pro, but, tip, pro tip in the chat yeah. here again, another shout out for Josh Manley, cadclass.org. He's saying, uh, maybe you guys already knew this. Google gives 10,000 a month in free ads for nonprofits. That's that's substantial, man. Yes, that is yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah, and that, and that yeah, um, that's one of the great benefits. Of, like, there's a lot of like, I don't want to call them fringe benefits for nonprofits, but there's yeah. a few. Yeah. Um, and one of the other things I want to hit on also, kind sure. of like while I'm thinking about it, um, matching donations, um, mm. Giving Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Every makerspace should be doing a campaign for Giving Tuesday, and capitalizing on the fact that there's a lot of organizations out there that do like two to one matching. Yeah. Uh, and that's a way for members of the community to just have an, like a really outsized impact on mm, like what, yeah. you know, like how they're contributing to a space. Um, and, you know, every, like every makerspace that's a nonprofit should be like leaning into that a little bit more. And uh, we use a couple of different um, features that like integrate, um, uh, Amply is the primary one that we use in our donor program. So anyone donates to us, they basically do a like, like almost like a quick little background check of like, like are they likely to be employed by like Google or Apple or someone else that like uh, matches donation? And then they'll actually send the email with the documents of like, if you fill this out, your organization gets a matching donation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very, very like completely seamless and like our end on like our side now. Um, and so like little tools like that, and just like remembering to ask like, Hey, does your company do, you know, matching mm-hmm. donations yeah. when you're doing any type of fundraising as a nonprofit, uh, just, it just doubles your money. Um, it's, and it's, it's, it's free money. It's free money. Yeah, right. No. Like, it's free money. It's free money that a lot of, a lot of nonprofits are just leaving on the table right now. Um, and I'll tell you, that yeah. was significant for us. So, so background really quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric mentioned it. I don't know if you guys know, but we we first crossed paths, me and, and Maker Nexus, at least. I, I didn't cross paths with Eric until later, but we first crossed paths uh, a couple of years ago when we were doing the face shields thing. We were both kind of mm. operating uh, uh, in parallel. And you guys took it a lot further than than I ended up doing with my limited resources um, because you you did eventually get injection we, molding. We went online. a little extra on that. You, yeah. you guys are extra, extra. 
I but I you know it was it was an awesome awesome experience. But we definitely um, were lucky enough that we were partnered with a nonprofit that helped us get the fund. I mean, it was a perfect storm of things that allowed us to be as effective as we were. But the funding mm-hmm. was absolutely critical from that. So I started with seed capital to just like have the materials for printing and the equipment and the laser cutting and all of that stuff. But very quickly, it grew out of scope for just, you know, a small business like me. Uh, and we had a number of high dollar donors, uh, that, uh, also doubled basically because they were like employed by tech companies that just had a program and they, they only found out they're like, Oh, I just found out my company will match donations. So, so I'll donate this. And then here's, here's two X for you as well. And so we're like, Oh, sweet. And then we started seeking that out more. And that was, that was a massive boost. So yeah. that's a that's mm-hmm. a great thing. Just having some education and understanding around the mechanics of that, and asking the questions, and getting yep. in front of the right people. Obviously, all the all the yeah. tri- tricks of the trade. What one of the other uh, like kind of quick pro tip pro tips also for nonprofits. Mm. Um, this uh, you know it's going to work better in Silicon Valley than elsewhere, mm. um, <laughs> but um, donations of stocks. Um, because when oh, you sell stocks, yeah, you're going to um, you know pay taxes and lose like 20, 30 percent of the value depending on how, like, how much that's appreciated. Uh oh, froze. Oh no. <laughs> so stock. Do, oh stock, no. Do, we'll give him a second. Uh, to, it as this. There we go. Sorry, you you glitched out on us for a second there. Oh, no, <laughs> you're back. So we heard right. we heard stock donations and then it cut it chopped. Yeah, so, yeah. So. Um, Someone's trying to cut this off and not share this tip. Um, so so the, the tax benefits go both ways. So um, the person donating it gets the tax write off of the full value. Instead of like if they sell it and then give you the cash, like if they got $4,000 of stock, they're going to pay $10,000 on Cap taxes you know, yeah. when they sell. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it hits pretty hard. If you donate the actual stocks themselves, the nonprofit gets the full value of it and they don't pay the cap gain taxes and things like that. Yeah. And the person donating it gets the full value of that write-off. So, so it, it helps both parties to, and that's one of the things like when you're asking for donations, like, you know, be creative and look at the different avenues which you, with which you can receive donations because that's, that's one clever. that there's people, particularly with like how the stock market has like that's gone gotta up and be down. capped at some rate. Cause mm-hmm. I got, so you're telling me it's, that if I want to go and sell some stock rather than sell the stock, take the cap gain hit, I can give you the stock, but I'm not pulling the full cap gain. I'm just getting a write-off mm-hmm. as a donation. Yeah, you're getting So I'm right, using yeah. it yeah. as a donation to basically yep. leverage that donation mm-hmm. amount less the cap gains. Okay. All yeah. right. I mean, I'm, I'm, sure th- I'm sure there is an upper limit in like how much tax write-off you can get from that. <laughs> yeah. We haven't hit it. Um, and like we had, we had someone who donated a half Bitcoin. Um, and you know, rather than they're like, I huh. got this when it was like a hundred dollars, and I looked at it, I'm like, yeah, it's like forty four thousand dollars now yeah. per Bitcoin. Um, and so they donated because they're like, yeah, I'm just going to get hammered on the taxes. Like I may lose half the value. I'd rather get the tax write off. So they donated it. We we went to our broker and we're like, do you know, like, can we sell a Bitcoin? Like, how do we do this? Yeah, uh, and they set up, handled the entire <laughs> transaction, and um, we sold it, received that as the donation they got to write off that full value of you know, what we sold it for. And then like two weeks later it tanked. So we're like, wow, sold it just in time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Did you, did you guys but, take Doge? Yeah. 
uh, Shiba Inu coin? Any, like, I, uh, I, yeah. I, I, all the coins. We, we take them all at this point, I think. <laughs> uh, I think now, now that we're set up with a crypto wallet, like, I'm like, nice. I'm not a crypto person. Um, well, but, listen, in the spirit yeah. of time here, we're closing in and we've done a solid mm-hmm. 60 and we want to respect uh, y- oh, your sure. time because I know you got to get back to managing a giant mm-hmm. makerspace. But uh, um, I've got two final questions for you, if you don't mind. My, my first is you work with other makerspaces like who are there ones that you look up to in terms of like what you would aspire to be or where you take some motivation in terms of uh um uh, of other uh things that you might employ in your own space so i'll start oh, with absolutely. that and then i'll hit you yeah. with the second one um yeah i definitely want to shout out some of the other like bay area makerspaces um ace makerspace up in um oakland or berkeley um is a phenomenal very community led organization mm-hmm. uh, great community up there fantastic people um, they do a lot of really great community outreach um, with the big wildfires that we had here um, a couple years back they were doing like box filters and fans and kitting those up and getting those to low-income communities like, they're doing amazing work and they're almost i think they're i think they have like one paid staffer oh, wow. i think the rest of it's community run um, and it's a great wow. little space uh, Human Made up in San Francisco, um, run by Ryan Spurlock, um, is another fantastic nonprofit. They have leaned into a lot of the vocational education, and they do some amazing technical training programs mm-hmm. for people who are like, coming out of housing insecurity or returning vets, things like that. Uh, they're doing some amazing vocational work that, like, I hope that we get there someday where mm-hmm. we're doing some of that, like, really high-level technical training that leads like directly into jobs. Uh, we're getting started on it, but they're just like leaps and bounds ahead of where we are That's fantastic. Um, on that. Yeah. And they're a fantastic organization. Um, Ryan and I like, both started, he started uh, Human Made at the same time that I was trying to make her Nexus. Um, we both came out of the tech shop uh, community. He was, I think, the general manager at Redwood City. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just a great, great person overall. Um, Hacker Dojo um, is a really cool um, hackerspace. Um, and Northbridge up in San Francisco mm-hmm. also is a really cool hackerspace in the area. Um, pretty much all of them have a unique like vibe community to mm-hmm. them that mm-hmm. like there's something to be learned from and something to be drawn from. Like you can always improve. Like there's no space that's perfect. You just look at like mm-hmm. what works in a given space and be like, I like that. How can we bring that to our community yeah. to improve things here? The organization that human made is fantastic. Um, and just like how their entire space, like the entire space aesthetic is like um, on the one hand, like very, very, austere but also like really welcoming in a space like you're walking back yeah this is like what a makerspace should feel like but not so sterile um that you're like this isn't a welcoming space it's a very very cool space <laughs> um so if you get the chance definitely recommend visiting though visiting them um and then the crucible in oakland oh, is I love the crucible, um, man they have such a great um collection <laughs> of classes so cool. and facilities and yeah. they do, are they, they've been around for like 20 years 30 like years that, something like that that fire festival that they would run in the yeah. uh, in the in the evenings and the i don't know if they they're still doing that uh, probably or still co- doing it covid yeah jacked it up a little bit but it was i, I think also like some of the um art space fires in the area like anything fire related yeah. they like are taking a little bit of a step back from so uh, but yeah it's, it's yeah it's a phenomenal space and that's like that's what i look like look at for like when you're there for a long time, like the type of organization that you can grow, like no space, like no one's going to be like year one, be like, yes, we're like the crucible. Uh, right. Like just the amount of like the volume of investment mm-hmm. over 
decades well, into and, the and facilities. community it's and enormous. networking. Because the, the yeah. thing about the Crucible that was really neat was just like I, th- I think it served that community very well. Like some of their kit, their programs, like they had like this hyphy bike building thing where like the kids would get to come out and build these tricked out you know, bikes and do welding and like learn all that stuff. And it was just like, it felt very culturally appropriate to the area and stuff too. And, you know, you're right. There's totally a unique vibe to a lot of these different places and uh, something neat to offer. And when you can combine the amount of opportunity for these things, when you can combine causes with, Mm with, with that space, like that is what just really amplifies like people's desire to get involved. Right. Like, yeah, that's why we did so well being partnered with a makerspace. Uh, the one I was with was called Hacker Lab at the time. Unfortunately, they didn't survive COVID. Oh, up in Sacramento, yeah. So I was in the Rockland campus, mm-hmm. and then okay. uh, the, the, there was a Sacramento one, and unfortunately, they're, they're shut down now as well. But it did, did but, I think yeah. they just reopened on, well, on they, a smaller they re- scale. They rebranded yeah. as something, something right. different. Okay. So I don't know if it's fair cool. to call it, say that. But uh, sure. it, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's constant rebirth and stuff happening in yeah. these types of spaces. Uh, but... But what I was going to say was the 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 uh, the involvement with that community and the fact, especially with COVID going on and people wanting to get involved with something, feel like they were doing mm-hmm. something, feeling like they were, you know, had a sense of purpose and how powerful that is for your your community, your membership and all that stuff is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that, that sense of purpose united so many people and um, it really built almost overnight a huge community because everyone is actively like seeking that out. And I think that's, you know, that's one of the challenges like coming out of COVID is, you know, a lot of people right right now are struggling. And so like having the energy and the time available to like go and seek that, seek that purpose out or Mm -hmm. seek that Mm -hmm. like new experience out, I think right now is, is a pretty big challenge. I think everyone's just like so drained from like three years and like this transitionary period. Um, I, I think it's a challenging time for makerspaces, but I think it's also a good opportunity to like really lean into the community aspect and say we're you know bringing people together because so many communities have just been shattered uh, through COVID um, because like three mm-hmm. three years of you know distance um, there's so many community organizations and spaces that just have evaporated. Um, so I think makerspaces mm-hmm. stand a really good or have a really good opportunity to be a coming together place um, for those communities as they rebuild. Uh, it's going to take time, but I think that that's one of the things that, you know, looking forward is, you know, our organization, we're trying to lean into a little bit right now. Mm. Last question for you, if I might, Andrew, I don't want to jump off. If you had a, no, no, feel free. No, go ahead. But, um, you know, last question, what advice do you have for makers out there that might be listening to this or watching this that are interested in potentially getting their own space together because i i talked to a number of people they're like oh it'd be so cool i just don't have anything in our area so what advice do you have for organizers to get started and again knowing what you know now with sustainability in mind like it can't just be this it's not you know oh we're just going to get people Mm -hmm. together people are going to pay it's going to work out great like what are the key Ooh, yeah that's a that's a big one i know it's a big question um build a good team it's all Um, about team it's no like like I say, like, like all I really did to start Maker Nexus was stand up and be the, be willing to be the person who is like talking, um, and to be like the like front person of this. Um, Kristen Winklebauer, Regina Sakels, uh, Jim Shrimp, um, a couple others, like they put in hours upon hours of just like 
thankless work building an organization mm -hmm. from the ground up mm -hmm. and like i could say anything i wanted uh, and you know for the most part they're like yeah we'll do that um but always you know like really always try to be like this is a team a community building that mm -hmm. team that's going to get things started is step number one and we were we were like we lucked into it you know we were just like like look for the helpers you know you mm -hmm. hear that phrase a lot like yeah. look for the helpers yeah you know when i was looking around and like you know we've been talking about like how we could like how this should be done better now's our chance to like actually like put our money where our mouth is um mm -hmm. i looked around mostly for the people that were trying to help others in the community yeah. that were willing to give of themselves that's one of the like really key things in building that team is looking for people who want to help and want to build things um, and then looking for a diversity of skills and backgrounds, education levels, um, like, you know, part of building that team is like, you need a good accountant, like mm -hmm. good treasurer. Like you just can't, you can't yeah. do without it. So yeah. many makerspaces fail because like someone just like, like books are tough, like, but mm -hmm. you have to do them. You have to manage the finances. Yep. Um, you have to have like that hype person, like, you know, that, you know, the person who's like willing to get up there and communicate and share a vision yeah, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. and you need someone that's going to be like no no like that's a little too far reel it in <laughs> yep. you know you need the you know the reality check of like we've got all these hopes and dreams but like but here's what's like what you actually like can achieve yeah um putting that team together is like 95 percent of the battle um and the other five percent is make sure you start with enough money um and that's it's tough. Um, starting a makerspace is expensive. Yep. Signing leases, mm -hmm. getting insurance, training, you know, painting all the walls, bringing new equipment, um, ripping up carpet, polishing for like all of it costs money. Yep. Um, and there's a lot of makerspaces that spend a lot of money to get like right to the point where they're ready to open and they run out of money. Mm. Um, no. And like mm -hmm. it's. Um, I mean, you know, it's tough. It's, it's true. There's a lot it's of true for any business. You yeah. got to give yourself enough runway. I think yeah. people aren't mm -hmm. realistic about what what things actually cost. Everything costs a lot more yeah. than you expect. And the can people, I take like two yes. minutes and share like my pitch for what I'd like to see Please. in makerspaces? Yes. Um, so Tech Shop. Um, if you're, are you familiar at all with Tech Shop? I'm not. Okay, so they were a for-profit makerspace, had like 11 locations nationwide. They did some good things. They also ended up $30 million in debt or mm. so. So they did some not so good things. But one <laughs> of their core ideas that I really, really think we should be leaning into as a community of makerspaces mm. is shared resources and infrastructure. Every makerspace is solving kind of the same core problems. They're building the same curriculum in like how to run a wood shop safely. Mm -hmm. They're building the same infrastructure and in like how to like accept a membership and track permissions for using machines or have building access. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. they're building the same youth summer camps and all this knowledge is shareable and transferable from location to location to location. Yeah. If you have a kind of like a, not necessarily like a governing body, but a single clearinghouse of expertise Finding mm -hmm. an, uh, an um, architect that knows what a makerspace is costs a lot of money and a lot of time. If you have an architect you're like, hey, call these people up. They know what a makerspace is. They'll help you design your building. That'll save tens of thousands of dollars of searching. Having someone who's familiar with permitting, you know, having someone that you can call up and be like, hey, I'm having issues mm -hmm. with the local city, trying to get my wood shop permitted, tips and tricks, and having someone that has the experience with that. But having all that in a kind of a shared location or a shared organization, mm -hmm. um, 
finding insurance mm -hmm. is a, you know, you've run into it. It's, you know, every organization, every, you know, every makerspace are doing these same problems and solving them individually over and over and over again. They're yeah. reinventing the wheel. Yeah. They're coming up with like variations of the wheel, mm -hmm. but they still have the same wheel at the, you know, like aspiring to the same wheel. So I'd like to see, mm -hmm. um, and, and like one of my longer term goals is have a national or international organization mm -hmm. that is facilitating mm -hmm. makerspace foundation and growth and providing the advice and counseling and coaching and training to make makerspaces more likely to be successful. I'm kind of like, not really like a franchising look, you know, like idea approach to it, but you know, you go to a Taco Bell across the country, like they aren't all owned by Taco Bell, they're owned by local right. owners, right. but they've got mm -hmm. the Taco Bell menu and they've got the Taco Bell, you know, um, mm -hmm. training, like, you know, you, you go to Taco Bell, you know what you're going to get, you know, that there's going to be like, like it's going to be the same across the country. And I don't think that that works for makerspaces, but if you take the underlying system of like, this is how you place an order, this is how you make a taco, this is like how you set mm -hmm. up a drive-through and you build a local community around that, I think it can really eliminate a lot of the challenges and shortfalls that so many makerspaces run into just by having people have already done it, being there mm -hmm. to support along the way of like, like this is like the small business administration for makerspaces. Like, like this yes. is where you get your <laughs> mentoring. Say, this is why professional awesome. communities yeah. exist. Yeah. This is why, and, yeah. I, and I've, I've said for, you know, part mm -hmm. of the reason Andrew and I connected originally is because we felt like there weren't nearly enough resources for small business and stuff like that to, uh, to do, you know, and, and I didn't, I didn't feel like the local chamber of commerce was appropriate for my style of business and stuff like that. So I, mm -hmm. you know, as more and more of these entities come online, there are more efficiencies to be gained. Josh, uh, manual manly, the guy that was on a couple weeks ago was talking about this exact same thing. And he does consulting for makerspaces, mm -hmm. uh, specifically, for this reason, um, like, hey, let's not reinvent the wheel. There, there can be some best practice here that we can all learn and benefit from. Maybe it's 80, 20%, you know, where it's like, yeah. you know, there's going to be 20% of what makes you guys unique and has your own flair. You're not having to compromise things, but there's a lot of administrative overhead and things that just need to get handled that everybody can benefit from, right? And, and yeah, mm -hmm. and just think how much creativity can be unleashed if like, right, for a wood shop class, like you've got your basic wood one, and that's like learning how to use your table saw, joiner, planer, chop saw. Yeah, like that's our that's our wood one class. Like if you hand that to another makerspace, whoever was going to develop that class at that makerspace now gets to move to the level two class and develop mm -hmm. that instead. Mm -hmm. And so now you've added that like level one and two class because you just didn't do like two parallel level one classes. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. so like there's so, there's so much so much efficiency to be gained. It's so much. You know, creativity to be unlocked by doing something like this. Like I, that's really where I would like to see things going in the next like five to ten years. Mm -hmm. um, you know, really building a you know nation of makers. You know, I had hoped would kind of like go that direction, um, but they've been it's been pretty dormant. Um, but I think that's one of the things that you know, if you know, someone like Adam Savage or um, Mark Rober or something like one of the other people who has like a really faces, large, yeah, the large, yeah, the faces yeah, to yeah. like really get behind yeah. and help support an organization like that. I think it would benefit, you know, people around the world, uh, not just like regionally or nationally, but you know, this is something that, you know, you go to France, all you're doing is translating your Woodshop One class, or you go to like, you know, somewhere in Africa, um, you know, you're, can bring those tools and that same training. And all you're doing mm -hmm. is, you know, all of that translates um, and then you can unleash a huge amount of 
you know, creative potential that right now isn't being served very well. Well, in the words of the great Adam Savage, it's not a it's not a problem to solve. It's a process to manage. And that requires mm-hmm. a very specific skill set that is not fully common to our kind as makers a lot of times. Like <laughs> the, the vast majority of people that are excited about making just want to make cool shit, right? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And so and that's fine. That's great. I love that too, but I want to see this thing be sustainable and grow long-term yeah. and stuff. And so we need to find some leadership and some camaraderie because I agree with you fully. It's it's about the people that you surround yourself with. That is a, the, one of the most precious resources and finding those those people with the, those special skill sets are really what's going to move mm-hmm. the whole community forward any any more potentially meaningful way. It's not to yeah. say that it has to be that way. There are certainly people that yeah. want their regional flair, and I think that they can coexist. But oh, absolutely. It, it's yeah. going to take those things. So that's a that's a great place to wrap up because it's a it's just so perfect for business for you know the commonality <laughs> between us and and you know a makerspace or a, whether you're for profit or not for profit, all that stuff. Um, you know, a lot of good little nuggets in there. So I thank you for your time and your insight you. on mm-hmm. all yeah, of that. This absolutely. was a lot of fun. We'll have to do a check-in. I uh, look forward to rolling down and seeing the new space soon. Uh, I'm a Bay Area native, and so it's like every time I'm down there, I'm like, oh, I got to go check out Eric's place, and I it just never seems to click, but we're going <laughs> to do it. Maybe I'll get yeah. Josh to, to roll with me, and we'll go. We're always yeah. looking for cool ro- maker spaces. And, uh, uh, you know, go spend some time and we'll just do some, come down. I'll, I'll, make some fun whip, things. I'll pull out my hand planes and we'll make some like sweet. Wood we'll blow and... up a planer or something. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rad man. Well, right. thank, thank you so, thank you much. so much for your time and having me on here. Yeah, no, no problem. Everybody, if you're with us still, thank you so much for watching. We, uh, really quick, uh, teaser. I'm going to draw, drop this episode's going to drop in the next day or two. We're going to drop a bonus episode this weekend of my interview with, Joe Prusa from the meetup that Eric and I were at uh, for the Prusa user group meetup we were at. That was like two weeks ago now, but it's taken me that long <laughs> to chop it and, and put my intro on it and all that stuff. So anyway, that's coming out. So watch for that. Uh, if you haven't uh, joined and followed the uh, Maker That Money Twitter, that's like where our official announcements are going now. We'll, of course, retweet it on on ours. But um, if you haven't already, please follow like, subscribe, all that stuff. Uh, you can catch Andrew over at 3D Gloop. I, I, I made a mistake. I didn't put the actual tag, but uh, Eric, if you're interested in checking out Eric's organization, they're just at, at MakerNexus uh, on most of, I think, of the social media things, but MakerNexus.com. Yeah, pretty much all of them. The web, go to the website, check out their stuff. Awesome place. Uh, tons of great resources. If you have kids and you're in the Bay Area, you're looking for stuff for them to do this summer, Get them involved. This is the perfect, perfect place to do that. Uh, and do, of I, course, do I see the dog for the extra views? Yes, yes. Get, let's get those dog views in here. Get the dog bump. There it is. Oh, what's is it? Oh. What's is it? He. Uh, he. he yeah. What's his name? Butters, and it's kind but, of the butters with mascot. a B or a P. Yep. B. B. Butters, yep. like like from uh, South Park. Uh, yep. Yeah. Exactly. Perfect. <laughs> Uh, you guys are awesome. Thank you guys for being in the chat. We love you. We will catch you next week. Uh, we're going to have Josh back and we're going to talk about, uh, some more awesome making related stuff until then, uh, keep on making everybody and we will, uh, 